a gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Reconstructing the mystery of Tragedy Spring. The place called Tragedy Spring has a sad history both in the 19th century and today. In the High Sierras, Tragedy Spring is the resting place for three members of the Mormon Battalion. This hour, KSL explores the site's history and whether it can be restored to its former beauty. Here's our host, Dan Bummis, on KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. High in the Sierra Nevada, about 8,000 feet, a natural spring trickles out of the rock. It and some of the trees that surrounded it were there for centuries. The site was used by Native Americans before settlers ever arrived from the United States. But here, in this peaceful place, they came into conflict, and three men who had been members of the Mormon battalion were killed. The three, Daniel Browett, Ezra Allen, and Henderson Cox, were buried at the site by other battalion members who came along some days later. They named the place Tragedy Spring and carved a memorial in a tree before they moved on to pioneer a new wagon road across the Sierras. The Tragedy Spring story of today, though, involves much more than the three men who died there. It figures into the history of the California Gold Rush, of Latter-day Saints who were in California even before the arrival of Brigham Young's advanced company of pioneers in the Great Basin. And it continues with the very contemporary concerns of global warming and its destructive effects today. I'm Dan Bomas with KSL News Radio. I'm a great-great-grandnephew of one of the men buried at Tragedy Spring, and that's what led me to learn as much as I could about both the history of the site and the events that took place there, as well as the current state of the memorial that is today getting new attention. Thank you for sharing your time to hear the tale. When Latter-day Saints tell the Mormon Battalion story, it sort of ends in San Diego when they reach there in 1847, which I think one of the, the missed opportunities and the, the missed wonderful stories of our early history in California is how they got out of California. Brandon Metcalf works for the historical department of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And this is one of those important ones as they as they are uh, in the beginning of carving this this Carson Trail, this significant trail that connects them with uh, the Humboldt across Nevada into the Salt Lake Valley. As gold discovered is, is discovered, that becomes a very significant route. But the, these individuals that lose their lives there in Tragedy Spring, I think, too often are it's a forgotten story, and we just we don't we don't understand all the complexities it took for them to carve trails and and find their way to be reunited with family and their fellow saints. The Mormon Battalion was a unit of the U.S. Army that was recruited from the refugee communities of Latter-day Saints in Iowa in July of 1846. 
These were people who had been forced to leave their homes in Nauvoo, Illinois. Many of them were living in desperate poverty while church leaders contemplated a move west. The United States was going to war with Mexico at the time. President James K. Polk wanted to see what was then Mexican territory between the U.S. border and the Pacific coast secure in U.S. hands. Though soldiers were needed, Brandon Metcalf says the president wasn't necessarily looking for help from the Latter-day Saints. For their part, the Saints were deeply disappointed in the lack of help they'd received from the government. Again, Brandon Metcalf. There's some pretty uh, strong feelings against, uh, even when it comes time to enlist in the Mormon Battalion, it wouldn't have happened had Brigham Young not supported that. Uh, And even then, there are some that uh, just were offended that the U.S. Army would uh, request them to fight for her and join the Army when when for so many uh, instances, just the awful persecution that happened in Ohio and Missouri and Illinois would not defend the the Latter-day Saints. And here they are being asked to go and, and fight for this country. Brigham Young actually, without the knowledge of most of the other church leaders and such, shortly after they uh, evacu- or are planning to evacuate Nauvoo in early 1846, he assigns a man named Jesse Little, who's uh, presiding over some of the missionary work in the eastern United States, to actually go to Washington, D.C. and attempt to get an audience with President James Polk. Uh, the purpose being that he wanted to see if Polk was willing to assist the saints in the move west. It's really interesting because uh, Jesse Little is uh, a little bit creative in his communication with Polk and overestimates how many saints are moving out west and actually gives some idle threats that if you don't help and support us, we'll go to foreign governments and see if they will uh, to to convince and nudge Polk to, to help the saints in the move west. And the recruiting of the Mormon battalion was his way of helping. Exactly. So they're they're engaged in the Mexican-American War, and he gives approval uh, shortly after having that communication with Jesse Little to recruit a 500-member battalion uh, made up, comprised of uh, Mormons or Latter-day Saints. So with encouragement from Brigham Young, the Army recruited its battalion in Council Bluffs, Iowa. The men, and not a few women and children, signed up for the journey not really knowing where they were headed or what hardships they might face along the way. Brian Giles is a relative of Henderson Cox. Henderson was 16 years old when he enlisted. When I spoke to Brian at the site where Henderson and his comrades are now buried, Giles said Henderson had to talk his parents into letting him go. He heard what Brigham Young promised the saints, that anyone who joined the battalion would not lose their life to the uh, the enemy, and if they stayed faithful and true to the covenants uh, that they made, they'd be safe. So he went back to his parents and kind of sweet-talked him and persuaded them to uh, let him join by, by using President Young's promise. Almost immediately, they marched off to Fort Leavenworth, Kansas, and began their epic trek through Santa Fe and Tucson, then onward across the desert to the Pacific Ocean. A substantial number of battalion members, some who were sick as well as women and children, went instead to Pueblo in what is now Colorado. Their adventures are a whole story in itself. For the rest of the battalion, the march took about six months, though they had enlisted for a year. They were tasked with building up the military presence in San Diego, along with Fort Moore in what was then a small settlement called Los Angeles. 
when their enlistments were up, many chose to leave. About 80 members, though, signed up for another six months of duty. And after that, they went north to the area around Sacramento. Some found employment with John Sutter at his sawmill along the American River. In January 1848, gold was discovered in the river, setting off the momentous gold rush to California. Some of the battalion members were able to gather some gold dust of their own by panning in the river, but the call of home and family was strong, and by June, a company had been assembled to travel to the valley of the Great Salt Lake. And that's where historian Brandon Metcalf picks up the story. That summer, there, there's a number of these former battalion members and some of the saints that had arrived with the ship Brooklyn, and they meet in the foothills in a place called Pleasant Valley. They've already uh, been making some plans, and there's actually an initial scouting expedition with these uh, with these three uh, men that are end up being killed in, in Tragedy Spring. They it's an early, there's a late snowstorm, so they turn back before long. But while they're waiting Pleasant Valley for the, the rest of this group to, uh, to gather, which ends up being 45 men and one woman uh, that travels in what's called the Jonathan Holmes and Samuel Thompson Company, Daniel Browett is actually voted to uh, sustain to be their captain. And he's a little impatient to wait for the rest of this group to gather and, and head into the Sierras. So he takes two others, Henderson Cox and Ezra Allen, with him to go scout ahead. Frank Tortorich is a retired teacher and volunteer historian who has spent years researching the Tragedy Springs story. So by following Indian trails, they were going to find a new route over the Sierra uh, for the sole purpose of just getting over the mountains and getting to the Salt Lake Valley. They sent out three scouts to scout up the Indian trails to see uh, the best passage to go. And of course, those three scouts uh, and never returned. Uh, and then it was on uh, July the 19th when the main body was moving up the mountain and they uh, came to a spring and they saw some disturbed earth there and uh, dug into it and found their three dead comrades stripped of all their clothing, uh, you know, every, bodies riddled with arrows, heads caved in. And uh, a gold pouch was the only thing left. The other battalion members in the company were left with a mystery. What happened at the place they now called Tragedy Spring? They reburied the bodies and carved a memorial in a tree with their best guess as to what had taken place. But the simple fact is, they didn't know. And all these years later, we still don't know. The tree where that memorial was engraved is long gone but the carving was preserved. It's now in the museum at the Marshall Gold Discovery State Historic Park in Coloma, California. A bronze replica was later placed at the site. There was yet more sorrow for the families of the men who died at Tragedy Spring in the year 1848. But the troubles at Tragedy Spring continued into our own century, and we'll tell that part of the story coming up. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear-gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? 
I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Reconstructing the mystery of Tragedy Spring, the site's history, and possible restoration with host Dan Vomis on KSL News Radio. In June of 1848, a company of Latter day Saints, most of them veterans of the Mormon Battalion, were pioneering a route through the Sierra Nevada south of Lake Tahoe. A scouting party of three men, Daniel Browett, Ezra Allen, and Henderson Cox, had gone ahead of the main group. They didn't return, and the rest of the company discovered their bodies in a shallow grave some days later. The place where they were found came to be called Tragedy Spring. The memorial, carved into a tree at the site, listed the names and said they were supposed to have been murdered by Indians on the night of June 27th. In truth, though, we don't know the details of who killed them or why. Volunteer historian Frank Tortorich says he's troubled by the wording on the marker. The word suppose bothered me a lot. The word murder bothered me a lot um, because I didn't, uh, I didn't understand what suppose meant, uh, whether it was main reference to was it supposed Indians killed them? Was it supposed at night? Uh, it just uh, the suppose was just a curious word that was thrown in there. And I never, ever thought the word murder was appropriate because these were Washoe Indians. They were not warrior Indians. And they actually were uh, had interchanges with with the Mormon battalion members uh, in Pleasant Valley and helped them build the road. Tortorich suggests there may have been some contact with the Washoe at the site that turned into a fight, but that's also speculation. What we do know is that the main company found a leather pouch that contained about $120 worth of gold dust that had belonged to one of the men, Ezra Allen. This they took with them, and it has its own sad story later on. Once they'd buried the three men and marked their graves, the company pressed on and pioneered a new route through the Sierras. Until then, Brandon Metcalf says the best-known route through the mountains to California went along the Truckee River, a difficult and dangerous crossing with its own tragic history. This group, and I love the audacity, had, had no desire to uh, take the Truckee route. It was really the only established route at the time. But that, depending on the season and, and the water season, the snowpack, that could require up to two dozen river crossings with wagons, and it was just... It was a major ordeal. Plus, you had, of course, the, the Donner-Reed tragedy uh, not too long before this. And so they decided that uh, they, they felt that they had experienced enough of the pioneer life, and I'm paraphrasing, that they would find a new route. And so it's this idea that we're going to take these wagons. We don't want to take that trucky route. It's, it's too many river crossings, and we're going to go ahead and find a, a route to the south here. It was an ambitious undertaking, and Frank Tortorich says they couldn't have foreseen how important the road they were blazing would become. They did not have a desire to create a wagon road uh, that would bring people west. 
their only desire was to get their 45 men, one woman, 17 wagons, 300 animals to the Salt Lake Valley. However, as they proved that wagons could travel over this route, which would became known as the Carson River route, and when they got out onto the what is now the Nevada desert, they met a mountain man by the name of James Kleiman. And he had 18 wagons, and he was intending to come to California by the Truckee River route. Well, they showed him the gold and the map, and he came this way. Uh, a week later, it was uh, Pierre Barlow Cornwall with 25 wagons. So we know that in 1848, uh, at least 120 wagons and four to 500 people and 1,000 to 1,500 animals traveled over the Carson River route. The word got out about gold discovery and the fact that there was this route and the 49ers then started using the Carson River route rather than the Truckee River route. The battalion veterans were going the other way to the Salt Lake Valley, with some pressing on toward their families at Council Bluffs and Winter Quarters. And while they labored eastward, other Latter-day Saint pioneer companies were on their way west across the plains. One included the family of Henderson Cox. Henderson's father, Jehu Cox, had joined the company with his wife and children. Their leader was Heber C. Kimball, a member of the Quorum of Twelve Apostles who was also a counselor to Brigham Young in the first presidency of the church. On June 15, 1848, Kimball made this entry in his journal history. The road was some broken today with considerable pitches. Coming down a little pitch, Brother J. Hugh Cox's daughter, Lucretia, fell off the wagon tongue and was run over by the body of the forewheel and over the neck by the hindwheel. She gasped once or twice and expired. Cox was six years old. Today, Lucretia's name is included among the 684 children who died on the pioneer journeys to Utah on a memorial at This Is The Place Heritage Park in Salt Lake City. A few days after Lucretia's death and more than a thousand miles away, her older brother would be killed at Tragedy Spring. When Henderson marched off with the battalion, he was just 16 years old. Lucretia was four. The family and company pressed on, arriving in the Salt Lake Valley in September of 1848. As the years turned into decades following the pioneer journeys, the Tragedy Spring site became a landmark. A bronze marker was added to the stone cairn believed to mark graves. There's a short paved road to bring visitors driving along California Highway 88 to the site. The spring was piped to a cistern and down the hill to the parking area and onto a private property owner who lives nearby. The Daughters of the Utah Pioneers added one of their familiar historical markers in 1967, while other signs explaining its history were put up for those willing to take a short hike up the hillside. But the lovely trees and cool shade at Tragedy Spring couldn't be separated from the fate that awaited the larger landscape, the enormous wildfires that have reshaped so much of California in recent years. We'll be talking about that and the efforts to make the site once again accessible to visitors in just a moment. 
reconstructing the mystery of Tragedy Spring. The place called Tragedy Spring has a sad history both in the 19th century and today. In the High Sierras, Tragedy Spring is the resting place for three members of the Mormon Battalion. This hour, KSL explores the site's history and whether it can be restored to its former beauty. Here's our host, Dan Bummis, on KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. There is a spring at Tragedy Spring with water coming from an underground aquifer. People used to stop and fill jugs with the clean, natural water, even those who had little interest in the history of the place or the men who died and are buried there. It once had some hiking trails and a picnic table, along with interpretive signs. Mostly, though, it was a quiet place for reflection, high atop the Sierras at about 8,000 feet. It's close to the Carson Pass Highway, along the route pioneered by veterans of the Mormon Battalion. It was a major route for wagon trains coming to California during the gold rush of 1849 and onward. 2021 was the year of catastrophe for the Tragedy Spring site. In March, a huge windstorm blew through the mountains. It brought down several large trees, including one that stood right next to the stone cairn marking the graves of Daniel Browett, Ezra Allen, and Henderson Cox. Peter Gilbert is a service missionary with the California Living History Mission of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. He's taken part in the reenactments of the battalion's arrival in California in 1847, but he's also developed a special interest in the Tragedy Spring site. Gilbert and other volunteers tried to mitigate some of the damage after the windstorm, though without the help of heavy equipment, they were not able to lift the downed trees or do much more than shore up the stone wall next to the graves. Then came the fire. The mountains of Northern California, like much of the West, have seen unprecedented droughts in recent years, something scientists say is a result of global climate change. The dry conditions have left the forests vulnerable and multiple huge wildfires have burned across the state in recent years. On August 14, 2021, two men were target shooting near an old logging town called Caldor, and that started a fire that spread rapidly over 200,000 acres in the El Dorado National Forest south of Lake Tahoe. It destroyed or damaged more than 1,000 structures and forced more than 20,000 people to evacuate. The huge plume of smoke was visible from space as it drifted across the country. The Caldor fire burned for weeks, eventually reaching Tragedy Spring in September. As he looked around what's left of Tragedy Spring in August, Peter Gilbert could only say the fire and its aftermath have changed the whole character of the site. The forest itself is all burned off. It's, it's nothing but sticks sticking up in the sky, all black. The, uh, the trail that came up and down from the road down below where the, uh, the, there's a plaque along the, 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 the Tragedy Springs Road there, um, the trail had been in, still, in, in pretty bad shape because of the fallen trees over the last four or five years. They had a huge one come down right across the trail about five years ago from a windstorm, I believe. And then the last year, the big, the big storm came through. Um, knocked over a whole bunch of trees and destroyed the the, the cairn we had built um, and put the stone down for the uh, to memorialize, memorialize the three men who were killed here. They believe it's pretty close, real close, if it's not on the site where they were buried. Um, but the trail had been um, 
<clears throat> messed up because the trees fell down. And so last year we did manage to come through and, and clean the bigger trees. You know, they're like, we're looking at them about three and a half, four feet in diameter. And we had a gentleman come up and, and a follower come up and, and cut whole pathway through up to where the cairn is and where the spring is. Um, and uh, But the thunderstorm, since the duff's been, been burned off, the thunderstorms and, the, and rain they get up here tends to wash uh, a lot of the, the trail away. A cistern just a few yards from the spring was covered with an aluminum roof, but the wooden framework that holds it up was burned in the fire. It still sits precariously on its concrete foundation just a short distance from the monument. The Tragedy Spring Road, a short detour off Highway 88, apparently marked the southern extent of the Caldor Fire. Along the nearby road that's now called the Mormon Emigrant Trail, huge piles of burned logs wait to be trucked away. What hasn't fallen or been cut down will stand until nature replaces the blackened forest. Mile after mile of the mountain landscape, once traversed by a company of Latter-day Saints trying to find their way home. The land at Tragedy Spring belongs to the U.S. Forest Service. Chuck Hutchinson is an archaeologist and the Heritage Program Manager for the El Dorado National Forest. Forest Service crews have been able to cut down hazardous trees at the site and to do some other work to make it safer and more accessible after the fire, and he's optimistic it will again be an attractive place for visitors. I feel like what the fire did the landscape, it's ugly right now. But it, it was definitely had way too many fuels. And um, it, it really hit reset. And um, maybe it's not going to look good this year or, or probably not next year or the next five years. But it's, it's really given the, the forest a chance to catch up on, open, you know, keeping it open and, and you know, add, adding possibly stairs, you know, up the super section to it and, and adding signage that you can actually see and adding more picnic tables. I, I, I think it, it, though it's ugly now, it, it's, it provides, it's providing an opportunity for the future. In the process, Hutchinson says it could be time to tell a more complete story about what happened at Tragedy Spring. I'm sure there's going to be a bunch of opportunities to recreate the site to make it more historically accurate. And in fact, um, possibly even recreate some of the signage, you know, that um, doesn't call out the local tribe as much, you know, because there was some confusion about what was it, were, were they actually killed by Native Americans? In fact, um, Frank Tortorich visited the site with the tribal historic preservation officer from the Washoe, who would, who would have been the tribe there. And they don't bury people, and the people were found buried. So it would be great to, to join with the Washoe and, and the two other groups to recreate that signage and maybe make it a little bit more accurate. After the fire, Hutchinson says they made another important discovery. We've recently had um, human remains dogs out at the site to check to see if the, if the burial location was exact because, you know, it was put up some... The Karen was put about some 60-something years after, you know, after the incident. And um, with these forensic dogs are amazing. They, they detected that there weren't, that the, the burial wasn't exactly where everyone thought it is, and it's actually in a different, probably much safer location. For his part, Peter Gilbert isn't convinced the human remains detected by the dogs are the three veterans of the Mormon battalion. But the discovery is likely to have an impact on whatever restoration work is done at Tragedy Spring in the future. 
That restoration will take money as well as volunteer efforts. Hutchinson says there may be some grant money available to help, and they're happy to work with groups like the Oregon-California Trails Association and, of course, volunteers from the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Peter and some friends were at the site again in recent days, cutting more logs and clearing the trail. They're planning to get back up there and plant new trees before it's covered by snow, which happens early at 8,000 feet. His hope is that they can restore a sense of peace and serenity, even in the aftermath of the windstorms and fire. It's a beautiful site, and it is a historical site, and it's kind of a sacred site for us because it's, you know, there's some people who who gave their lives um, to build this road um, to get back to get, to get to their families in Salt Lake. For Brian Giles, preserving Tragedy Spring is more than just a historical curiosity. It's a personal and family issue. I spoke to him as he sat next to his 13-year-old daughter at the place that means so much to the volunteers who have worked so hard to keep the site accessible. Uh, You have your daughter sitting next to you here. What do you try and uh, pass on to your kids about uh, these people in this site? I try passing on the family uh, heritage with the girls. My daughter uh, that's with us right now, Emily, she, uh, when I first started reading the story and when we do the first person reenactment, Anderson Cox is my, uh, my character. This was Emily's first visit to Tragedy Spring. Even with the devastation, she felt a connection to the men who died here. I agree with my dad. It's peaceful and you can feel, you can feel peace. And while the highway pioneered by members of the Mormon Battalion helped to bring thousands to California hoping to strike it rich in the gold fields, the gold that made its way eastward across the plains brought a burden of sorrow. But it also allowed the family of one of the men who lost his life at Tragedy Spring to complete their journey. And we'll continue with their story in just a moment. Reconstructing the mystery of Tragedy Spring, the site's history, and possible restoration, with host Dan Vomis on KSL News Radio. Tragedy Spring today is a burned out wreck. While it's still accessible to visitors, what they'll see is hundreds of blackened trees, many of them fallen over. There have been efforts to cut through those that posed a hazard to the site. But the character of the place that had been a focus for reverence and reflection on the service and sacrifices made by early Latter-day Saints in California seems forever changed. The monument to the three Mormon battalion veterans who died there in 1848 is still visible. Daniel Browett, Henderson Cox, and Ezra Allen had stayed in California after the battalion was mustered out of military service, preparing to return to their families even after the discovery of gold at Sutter's Mill. Ezra Allen had acquired some gold in the months that followed the find that set off the California gold rush. It's likely the two other men had some too, but only the pouch that belonged to Allen was discovered when other men from the company crossing the Sierras found their bodies. The company blazed a new road across the Sierras that became one of the major routes for California-bound wagon trains during the gold rush and beyond. Members of the company went to the Salt Lake Valley to meet the saints that had settled there even before the place was called Utah. Some continued on across the plains to Council Bluffs, returning to families there. 
Sarah Allen, Ezra Allen's wife, was one of those who'd been waiting anxiously for two years since her husband had gone with the Army. In the spring of 1848, I began to look forward to the return of my husband. The Lord had blessed my efforts to provide for my family, and the brethren and sisters had been kind to me. At length, the news came that a company of brethren was expected to cross the river in a few days, coming eastward. I felt anxious to go to the ferry to meet him, but circumstances would not permit. So I remained at home, waiting and watching. After several days, word was brought to me that some of the brethren had arrived home, and that my husband and two other of the brethren had been killed by Indians in the California mountains. I learned that a purse containing $120 in gold dust had been found belonging to my husband, and it was being brought to me. Thus, when my hopes and expectations were blasted in a moment, what could I do but trust in God? I had no relative in the church, two small children, and a journey of a thousand miles before me. For some time, I felt I would sink under my burden of grief and anguish of heart. Then I aroused myself, and I began to meditate on what course to pursue, how to provide for my family, and prepare for the journey. I therefore determined to make every effort to accomplish this desirable undertaking and leave the events in the hand of God. In 1851, Sarah traded her gold dust for a wagon, an ox team, and provisions for the journey west, but kept enough of the gold to have a ring made. She wore it the rest of her life. She made the trek to Utah in 1852. Eventually, she married again and had six more children. She settled in Logan, where she died in 1891. Elizabeth Browett came to Utah with one of the earlier pioneer companies in 1847. The only child she had with Daniel Browett had died at winter quarters. Elizabeth learned of her husband's death when members of his company arrived in the valley in 1848. She was married for a time to another battalion member, but she did not have any more children. She died in 1899. After they arrived in the Salt Lake Valley, Henderson Cox's family settled in the area that became known as Fort Union. J. Hugh Cox moved on to help found the town of Fairview. Elias Cox, Henderson's younger brother, became the first bishop of Huntington when that town was settled. Today, the Cox family has hundreds of descendants, myself among them. As they embarked on their journey, Brigham Young and other church leaders told the battalion their names would be held in honorable remembrance to all generations. If there were to be any lasting tragedy associated with Tragedy Spring, it would be that Ezra Allen, Daniel Browett, and Henderson Cox might be forgotten, along with the place where they died. I'm Dan Bomas. My thanks to Angel Petros, Kellyanne Halverson, Don Brinkerhoff, Kristen Sorensen, and Becky Bruce, along with Peter Gilbert, Brian Giles, Brandon Metcalf, Frank Tortorich, Stephanie Bishop, and Chuck Hutchinson for their contributions to this program. A gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. 
that's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.